All right, good afternoon. Good to see everybody. Uh, welcome to City Life Community Church. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Chapter 2, or verses 2 through verse 13. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was eating something, uh, a piece of food, and a filling in my mouth actually came out. And I don't know if you're like me, but I absolutely hate going to the dentist. And even now, I know I need to go and get this filled, but I am delaying that as long as I can because I don't like going to the dentist. Because when you go to the dentist, you know what they're going to say. They're going to tell you all the things that you should be doing to clean and take care of your teeth. But especially in Taiwan, you know, they don't numb really for any type of tooth kind of work that you do here in Taiwan. They don't numb it at all. And so I know that when I go, I should listen to this person, right? Probably has multiple degrees. He's an authority on how my teeth should operate. And as painful as it might be, I know that what he wants more than anything is for my teeth to be healthy, to be clean. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've actually been looking at Jesus' confession that he is the Messiah. Two weeks ago, we saw the who. Peter confesses the who. He said, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And then last week, we had Scott preach. He did a great job showing us the how. How is Jesus going to fulfill the role of being the Messiah? And if you remember, Jesus said that actually he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and anybody who wants to be his disciple, they're also called to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. And this week, as we look at Jesus' transfiguration, Mark in the Gospel of Mark is going to give us the why. How can we really be sure that when Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross, deny yourselves, how can we really be sure that that's the best way to live life as a disciple of Jesus? Or what about you, whenever you're at work, or maybe you're with your family, and what we really want to do is use our position or our authority to actually lord it over people, why should you instead lay down your wants, your needs to serve those around you? See, Jesus is a good doctor. He knows your heart. He knows our hearts. 
And every single one of us most likely will choose greed over self-denial. We choose personal pleasure instead of serving other people. And Jesus knows this. And so what happens in chapter 9 is these miracles occur to affirm and confirm Jesus' authority so that we might listen and obey. So if you guys would stand for the reading of God's word. We Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. We'll read that. Read it first in English, then in Chinese. Alright, ready? One, two, three. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as though laundry on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because he didn't know what to say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, guys, we see it. Alright, so if we start here in verse 2, it says that after six days, who did Jesus take with him up the mountain? It says he took Peter, James, and John. And when I read this, I'm always amazed at the patience of Jesus. If you look at what happens before this story, we see that Peter does something really, really foolish. It doesn't get much worse than this in the Christian life. He actually rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus, in front of all of Peter's friends, calls him Satan. I mean, it's a moment of total failure. 
And yet Jesus doesn't push him aside. He doesn't put him on the bench. He takes him as one of his leaders with him up the mountain. Everything that follows in chapter 9, verses 2 through 13, actually, it's more for the disciples than it is for Jesus. If you look at verse 2, 4, and 7, what you'll see is this repeated idea of these things were being done before them or to them. That God is doing these miracles to show these unbelieving, confused disciples that His Son has all of the authority and they should listen to it. And there are these three things that God does. The first one that we see as we go up the mountain with these disciples is Jesus being transfigured. Now, uh, this word transfigured is actually a word where we get the word metamorphosis from. If you look at verses, <laughs> okay, if you look at verses two and three, it says that as he was transfigured, his clothes became dazzling, extremely white. What Mark is describing here, it's not that Jesus like went backstage, changed his clothes, and came out with these really shiny, nice clothes on. That's not what's happening here. The, the word that Mark uses is actually saying that something about Jesus' nature was revealed. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was both what? Fully God and also fully man. And it's in this moment that Jesus almost pulls back the veil and these disciples can see his divine nature in all of its glory. Now I know that there are some religions that believe, well, if you do certain things in life, you can become a god, or you can become something immortal after you die. But the Bible actually says that Jesus didn't become a God because he lived a perfect life, died on the cross. The Bible says that he was already God and then took on our human flesh. And so these disciples get to see God's divine glory manifested in front of them. Hebrews 1.3 says this. It says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by the power of His Word. Now, 
And when we talk about glory, I feel like glory is almost this word that's really hard to describe. It's more something that we experience. And so the Bible defines God's glory as this. God's glory is the manifestation of the perfection of all of God's attributes. His glory is the manifestation of all of who He is. And you might have to ask yourself this question as you read the text saying, well, where did this glory come from? How did Jesus get this glory? Because when the disciples are looking at Jesus, this is the type of power that they wanted to see the whole time. And what God the Father is showing His disciples through Jesus' glory is He's showing them this. That Jesus doesn't get glory because He did His miracles, because He taught all these things, or because He lived a good life. That the Son already had all of the glory. His life, His death, His resurrection is a demonstration of the glory that He already has. See, last week Scott told us, he said that if we wanted to really follow the call of Jesus to deny ourselves and take up our cross, we have to see something or someone as better. And here it is. This is the glory of Christ. This is the better thing that we need to see, that we need to have a fresh revelation of in order for us to obey that call. But for you and me, how does seeing Jesus as all glorious, how does it actually empower us or change us to be able to follow and obey Jesus' teaching? Uh, Paul Tripp in his book, Awe, he says this, he says, Only when the awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of the material world in their proper place. What you see is glorious. Because the Bible says that if you and I saw Jesus in all this glory, we would respond the way the disciples did, which was what? And then what's amazing about this picture is that the Bible says that Jesus' glory that he reveals here is actually something that you and I in Christ, we actually get to have. That it's a picture of what we receive in Christ. Romans 8.30 says this. It says, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, hear this, he also glorified. Romans 
人又呼召他们，所呼召的人又称他们为义，所称义的人又使他们得荣耀。2 Corinthians 3:18 another one says, "We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory." 哥林多后书三章十八节，这里讲到我们众人脸上的帕子，既然已经揭开，反映主的荣光，或者是说对着镜子看见主的荣光，就变成主那样的形象。那有荣光，这是主所做成的，它就是那灵。That the Bible says that while you and I, like we can't add to the glory of God, right? We can't make Him more glorious. 那圣经呢，其实告诉我们说，我们不能够在神的荣耀在上面呢，继续加更多的。But what we get to do is we get to share in His glory. 但是我们可以怎么做呢？我们可以去分享他的荣耀。You know, there's a there's a philosopher's name is C.S. Lewis. And he says that you know you and I will never meet an ordinary person. He says as we look around at people around us, all of us actually created to live eternally. And he says, in fact, if, if you and I saw one of us who have trusted in Christ. In our future glory, he said we would actually probably be tempted to worship. And so, as we look at this text, what, what, what kind of strikes me is that if this glory is ours already in Christ Jesus, then why do we live for mere earthly glory? And so many of us are looking for glory, looking for honor, and so we work harder or we do things that we wouldn't normally do because we want it. Yet in the gospel, the gospel says that this glory, this eternal glory, is actually secured for us. And it's not because of what we've done. It's because of who we believed. And so Jesus calls his disciples. He's saying, "Listen, you can forsake the temptation of living for earthly temporal glory because what you see here is a picture of what I have for you." So if you can imagine, you're the disciples. You see Jesus in all of His glory, and then all of a sudden, in verse four, these two people show up. 然后呢？你看到在二三节讲完之后呢，第四节就有两个人显现了。And it says here in verse f that Elijah and Moses appeared, and they're just chatting with Jesus. 第四节说，忽然以利亚跟摩西就显现，而且呢，跟耶稣聊天。Now, now Mark doesn't say what they're talking about, but in Luke verses nine thirty through thirty one, it's important. He tells us what they're talking about. 马可福音没有记载呢，这个耶稣跟他们两个讲什么，但是路加福音九章三十节到三十一节有记载。It says here that these two men they appeared in glory and they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. 路加福音第九章三十节三十一节说，忽然有两个人和他说话，就是摩西和以利亚，他们在荣光里显现，谈论他去世的事，就是他在耶路撒冷将要完成的。
All right, so, so if you've not been to church or you didn't grow up a Christian, you're like, what's the big deal? Moses and Elijah, why is that important to this story? Now, these two men actually represented some of the most important leaders in Israel's history. And if you remember, both of these men actually had a very similar mountaintop experience where God spoke to them through a cloud. That Moses received the law and spoke that message to God's people. And then Elijah, which is a really funny story, but as he was running for his life, he ended up on this mountain and God spoke to him on this mountain. And I think Peter, James, and John, they needed to see this. There was this teaching that was going around whenever Peter, James, and John were living, and the rabbis taught that Moses and uh, Elijah were the last two prophets that would ultimately help redeem the people of Israel. But in verse 4, what are these two men doing? Are they saying it's about us, man? We're, we're here, we're actually here to take over for Jesus? Is that what they're doing here? No, they're saying, I want you to listen to Jesus. Everything we did actually pointed to him. And so, and so there are these three things that we can kind of pull from this part that we see. Number one, Jesus is the ultimate messenger of God. That where these men spoke, you know, God gave them revelation and then they spoke it. Jesus speaks is the very word of God. Jesus is the ultimate redeemer because these men were used by God to, to bring temporary deliverance. We know that Jesus brings eternal redemption for his people. And finally, we know that through them being here, that Jesus is the climax of God's story. That as incredible as Moses and Elijah were, they had some incredible moments with God. There are these small scenes in a movie that's all about Jesus. Uh, they're small, they have small parts in a movie that's all about Jesus. I don't know if you guys, have, I'm sure you have, maybe you've taken a long road trip where you're going on vacation somewhere. I think this illustration might help it. Alright, so you have this ultimate destination where you're going, maybe it's Kandi. 
台东，或者是台东。Maybe it's you know Tainan. 要不然就是去台南。Right. 对。All right. So you want to go there and you make these little stops along the way, right? Maybe you get some food. You go to the bathroom. 吃东西或者上厕所。And as, and, as, and as great as those little stops are, you know that's not really what where you want to be. You want to be going to your ultimate destination. 所以很多休息站看起来都不错，但是你知道那不是你的目的地。你的目的地是在垦丁。And, and so you know your kids are in the background, and what are they saying? 然后你的孩子就坐在后座，在那边干什么 ？What do they say? 他们说什么 ？Are we there yet? 还没到吗 ？Every thirty minutes. And then you, as you're driving, you're thinking, man, I can't wait to get to this place. Well, can I tell you, that's what all of the Bible does as it points to Jesus. That every verse, every scripture, every person, every moment, it's like these little whispers that are saying, when are we going to get to Jesus? As you look at Moses and Elijah, it's like these kids in the backseat saying, "Man, this is great, but but when are we going to get to the point of everything, which is Jesus, the Son of God?" Right, because Jesus, He completes all things. He fulfills all things. He triumphs over all things. That Jesus is the point of the Bible. And so, you know, here in Luke 24, Jesus is talking to these disciples on the road, and He takes them aside, and He says this. He might go back to the beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all of the scriptures. But the point is, it's all about him. And so, how does this? How does Moses and Elijah seeing that all of the Bible points to Jesus? Well, how does that actually help us? Take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after Jesus. That Moses and Elijah's appearance, how can it help us to know what it means to deny ourselves? What is it? What is it? If it's all about Jesus, guess what? If it's all about Jesus, guess what? It's not about us. And so, really, the act of taking up our cross, us becoming less, and Him becoming more—that's just what all of history, that's just what all of the world is doing. 呢，我们说要背起十字架，基本上就是我必衰为他必兴旺，这个是整个全世界应该要做到的。Even even if you're not a Christian， 如果说你不是一个基督徒，好。I've read this in books. I've seen this in interviews with people who are very successful athletes or businessmen. 我看过很多这个不同的报道，哈，可能有这个很呃这个体育，就是做体育的这个运动员啊，或者是一些很有名的这个商人。That if you make things all about yourself. If you do that, it says that you will limit the ability to be used to impact and influence people. I think sometimes the hardest thing in life is just to kind of forget about ourselves a little bit. Actually, in life, sometimes, in life, you should forget about yourself. 
You know, for us as Christians, especially, the idea is that we would become less. That we would help other people become more. And that Jesus would be great. And so we gladly lay down our lives, we pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and point everybody towards Jesus, the point of everything. Alright, so as you're reading the story, if you follow along here in verse 5, now I, I, want, I want to believe that this is actually the way that it happened, what I'm going to explain to you. Because when you read the, the story here in, in verses 2 through 7, it's, it's very nice. There's three witnesses, there's these three miracles that happen. But you guys know that God is a God of relationship, right? And these disciples were real normal people. And so, and so it's as if Jesus takes Peter and his disciples up on the mountain and says, Listen, listen to me, I'm going to show you my glory. And then if that's not enough, like Elijah and Moses, these amazing men, like they physically appear, and you would think, that's, that's got to be enough, right? But somehow, Peter thinks that it's a good idea for this is his moment to give his good ideas to Jesus. That if you look at verse 5 and 6, Mark shows us that in this moment where there's all this stuff happening, Peter's like, hey guys, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, I got, I got this really good idea. And in verse 6, I love Mark is so honest because he says, why does Peter do this? It says because he didn't know what to say. He was so scared. Man, how encouraging is that? Peter's just like you and me. Probably more like me. But, but God usually even works with Peter in threes. And so it's as if Peter's like, you know, giving his great ideas to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and then God the Father's like, all right, man, that's it. I'm going to show up and I'm going to speak. Verse 7 and 8, look what he does. Verse 7, a cloud appeared overshadowing them, and a voice came from this cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, very rarely in the Bible do these moments happen where God himself shows up and speaks. Mm-hmm. Most of the time God speaks through someone or something. He uses a donkey, he uses angels, he uses people. 
But here it's when his, his, his own voice comes. And in this very rare moment that doesn't happen very often in Scripture, what does God show up to say? He says, This is my beloved son, listen to him. The first thing that we're going to talk about is when God says, This is my beloved son, what does that actually mean? A beloved means dear or esteemed or favorite, like highly favored, highly beloved. One of the most intimate words you can use. And why would God need to, to say this in this moment? He already said it at Jesus' baptism. Like, why does he need to say it again? Because God the Father is saying, listen, disciples. That Jesus hasn't lost my love, my favor, my, uh, my, my affirmation because he's going to be a suffering but it's because he's my son that he can be the suffering Messiah. I want us to step back and look at this picture for just a moment. That Jesus goes to the cross. It's excruciating pain, suffering moment, full of shame. His disciples betray him. People make fun of him. People call him a failure. And he does all of that. As the perfectly loved, perfectly beloved, perfectly sinless Savior. That Jesus' suffering didn't mean that he'd lost the love of the Father. In fact, his suffering and the cross was an act of obedience to his Father. And this should do something to the way that we view suffering in a Christian life. That suffering, as suffering and hardship does not mean that you've lost the favor or the love of your of your father who's in heaven. That in fact, when you look at the Bible, it's usually God's closest friends, the people that He uses mightily, that experience some of the most intense types of suffering. So be encouraged. 
He says this. He says, "This is my beloved son." So what do we need to do? He says, "Listen to him." 那这里呢，上帝自己说了，这是我的爱子。我们该怎么做呢？他就告诉我们，我们要听他。Now this word "listen" doesn't just mean hear. Like we just hear hear what he's saying. The word "listen" actually means to obey. 听他并不是只是耳朵上听见而已哦，而是呢，你要去顺服。But the Bible is not just about getting a bunch of knowledge and knowing a bunch of facts. Christianity is about obeying the words and the message of Scripture of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Several weeks ago, there was someone that、uh, has been coming to City Light, and they're not a Christian yet. Uh, they're not yet, but they're pretty close. And she was talking to another person that's in our congregation. And they, and they said this. Said, well, since this truth was preached on Sunday, that means I actually have to obey and live it out this week. Like this person isn't even a Christian yet, but but they understand that the message of Jesus is not just to be listened and heard and do nothing about. It's actually meant to be listened to, obey and transform our lives. That I know the issue in my life is usually not more knowledge. It's usually I'm not being obedient to the knowledge that I already have. That 我自己个人生命没有什么问题啊，并不是我没有什么基督教的知识，而最大的问题是我根本不知道怎么去顺服。You know, imagine you're driving in Taiwan. 想想在台湾开车。And and you run like every red light, and you're just speeding red light after red light. 然后你就是闯红灯。Uh, and then you know you break all the traffic rules that are even that even exist, which are hard to understand what exists, but you break them all anyways. And then the policeman, you know, I mean, I've never seen a policeman pull anybody over, but if it happened, a policeman pulls you over. And it begins to tell you, like, man, you've broken all these rules. What are you doing? It begins to tell you what she just did. But then you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second, man. I know. I know all the rules. I've got them memorized. You want to hear? I say in English. I can say in Chinese. Do you think you'd be blessed by that? No, because basically your knowledge has not changed the way that you drive. Because in the same way, the knowledge that we have about Jesus is not just supposed to stay up here; it's supposed to go here to our hearts and change the way that we live and transform our lives. And I know that in my life, I feel the weakest, and I probably exhibit the most weakness because of this issue that I'm not really obeying or applying the message and the teachings of Scripture in my life. Actually, in my life, I believe that I'm 
候，就是不能够把我所知道的这些真理呢应用在我应该的生活上面。And、we do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. 我们只能透过圣灵的能力才能做到。Right, this,、uh, there's a guy named Nabil Qureshi. He says this. 有一个人呢，他讲了这一件事情。And maybe you've asked this question. 可能你自己也问过这样子的问题。Would it be worth it to pick up my cross and be crucified next to Jesus? 如果说呢，我拿起我的十字架在耶稣旁边钉在十字架上，是否值得 ？If he is not God, then no. Lose everything I love to worship a false god? A million times over, no. But if he is God, then yes. A million times over, yes. 他说了哈，如果他不是神，那就没有值得失去我爱、崇拜虚假神的一切吗？一百万遍不可能。但是如果他是上帝，一百万遍可能。完了。And so here we see that God the Father Himself comes and affirms Jesus as the Son of God and says, "Listen to what He's saying." 所以呢，天父在这里他自己出现，然后来肯定。So finally, then, how does this how does this moment in Scripture how does that empower us, enable us, change us to live our lives in obedience to Jesus? That's all. 讲到这里，我们怎么能够知道神的话语可以授权给我们，让我们有能力去做呢 ？How many of us right now are actually looking for someone, some group of people to say the same thing about us or to us? 那有多少人在做的呢？一直在找一些人，或者是一群人呢，对你说一些肯定的话。But how many of us are looking for affirmation, for approval from our spouse, our friends, our coworkers? 或者是呢，你一直在期待你的配偶，或者是你的同事呢，跟你讲一些肯定的话语。I mean, how many of you work harder than you normally would, or maybe you might do things that you wouldn't normally do because you're looking for people's approval? 那为了你要让别人肯定你呢，你会去。I know I have. I know I still do. But people's opinion, man's affirmation, is so fleeting. So I plead with you: do not live for that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard, we shouldn't have ambition, but we should do it as unto the Lord and not to gain recognition or gain approval from people. I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard, we shouldn't have ambition, but we should do it as unto the Lord and not to gain recognition or gain approval from people. I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard, we shouldn't have ambition, but we should do it as unto the Lord and not to gain recognition or gain approval from people. That by every standard you would say they are successful, except by their own standard. 那每一个人都会说呢，其实他们是很成功的，可是其实他们的成功都是建立在自己的价值标准上面。And both of them took their lives. 而这两个人都自杀了。One was a young church planner, planted church two years, grew rapidly. He walked outside and took his life. 其中一个牧师呢，他当这个牧会两年，而且呢是做这个教会破职的，然后非常成功，人数也一直加增。可是有一天他出去之后就自杀。Now I want you to listen is because he didn't commit any crimes. 那我们想一想，这一个自杀的牧师他并没有犯罪。He wasn't running from the mafia. 他也没有是因为要逃这个黑道。He didn't have some large financial debt. 他也没有负债。
He was in bondage to this, this ever-increasing need to say it's never enough. I need more approval. I need more recognition. And that's what took his life. And here's the beauty of the gospel. This declaration that says, You are my beloved. It's yours in Christ secured. That right now, if you trusted in Christ, God the Father looks at you. In spite of all of our sin and our mistakes, he says, Daughter, Son, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And here's the thing if we have this kind of affirmation, if the Father really says this about us and we believe it, then why do I, why do we constantly live or die by man's approval? God has given us all the approval that we could ever want, we could ever need, and it's secured for us in Christ. I was talking to someone recently and they said, in Taiwan especially, um, Taiwan is very relational. But but sometimes you're saying that you don't experience intimacy. And I just want to tell you that you don't have to look for that anymore. That it's secure for you in Christ. And this identity that you are God's beloved, fully affirmed, fully accepted in Christ, this is the thing that Satan will always come and try to bring doubt into your mind. He'll say, because you made a mistake, or because you failed, or because you aren't being the best Christian that you can be, he said, you're not actually his beloved. You've actually lost his favor. You're kind of put on the bench. And what we can say in response to that? We didn't ever receive his affirmation, his approval, his love based on what we did in the first place. But all of the affirmation, all of the honor, this declaration from the Heavenly Father is yours and ours, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's never changing. Because Jesus never changes. Let's stand. And I want us to just, to just to think about the word that we just read and heard and listened to. Because the gospel is really good news. And yet I know at times we struggle to believe that it's real. But here's the point. 
All of these things, all of the glory, all of the affirmation, they only come through faith in Christ. That if you're in Christ, we're going to stand before Him one day, all of us will. And if you're in Christ, you're going to hear and say, Welcome home, my beloved. But if you don't trust in Christ, it's not what you'll hear. You'll hear, Depart from me, I never knew you. The only way that you and I will be accepted before God is by trusting in the work of Christ. It won't be by trying to obtain glory by yourself or living a life that's all about you. The only way that we receive approval and affirmation is by running to Jesus and putting all of our faith, all of our trust in Him. So would you come to Christ today? And would we all just repent from seeking earthly glory, making everything about us, and receiving and remembering again that it's all about Jesus? So we're going to close this afternoon. And as we respond in worship, there's going to be a couple over here, a couple of people over here on our right that would love to be to pray with you for. All right, so if, if you're someone here that's never trusted in Christ and you want to run and hear, repent and believe and hear the affirmation of the Father that you are beloved, then we'd love to pray with you. But if you're someone who's a Christian and you forgot or you don't remember, you've never heard the Father actually say, you are my beloved. We'd love to pray with you that you could experience that today, the love of the Father. And so over there, kind of in the chair section, we'd love to pray with you. If you have sickness in your body and you need healing, we'd love to pray for you. And as we continue worship, we're going to take communion together. And what a, what a great way to celebrate what Christ has done by remembering that it's through His death, His blood, and His resurrection that we obtain all the affirmation, all the acceptance from God. So if you're a baptized believer in Jesus, take the bread.